Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Good morning to you. Hope you all are doing good. It's good to see everybody. Um, I'm glad you're here to worship. It's always good when we can sing together and lift up our voices and lift up Jesus together in our songs and in, in the word. And so excited about doing that. We're going to continue with this series or this thought of until every person knows. If you were here last week, um, we talked about this and how the, the vision that we see in scripture and the vision we believe that God's given his church is that we go and we proclaim the gospel until every person knows. It doesn't mean that every person's going to receive the gospel message, but it means that we're called to go and proclaim it to the ends of the earth until every single person has heard the good news of Jesus. And so that's our call. And we're going to do what we talked about last week. We're going to demonstrate and declare the gospel. This is one of the ways we do that as we come in and we sing and we worship. We're demonstrating, declaring the gospel. We declare his word and truth. Um, we are also going to equip and encourage people to be able to go and uh, do the things that God created them to do. Um, and we're also going to set people apart and send them. And today we're going to begin in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to actually see where this setting apart and sending out is really clear in scripture. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 13, I mean, it's right there after the gospel of John, you go through the gospels, you'll come to Acts, keep going there till you get to chapter 13. There's so much in here that I'd like to talk to you about that, um, I just don't have time. I want to kind of walk through the, the passage a little bit. Uh, and then when we get to verse 13, I want to spend a little bit of time reading from verse 13 to 39. And then there's a particular part of that, that this week, as I was reading through it, it really kind of jumped out at me. It grabbed hold of my heart. And I want to talk to you about that today. So, um, if you look at Acts 13, one through three, this is literally where we see the church being set apart and sent out. It's specifically Paul, the apostle Paul, who um, wrote a lot of the New Testament, uh, was probably the greatest evangelist or greatest missionary carrying the gospel to the world, um, the, the news of Jesus to the world that we've ever seen. He uh, is the one that we're seeing here and it's Paul and a guy named Barnabas who um, the church recognizes the Holy Spirit is saying, set apart for me these people. They, they set them apart as in recognizing a call on their life. And that call is to be sent out into the world to proclaim the gospel um, to other people. And so this is where we really begin to see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. If you remember from Acts 1.8, we see where Jesus told them, told his disciples, they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we see this happening in verse one through three, where they are set out to go to what we would call Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, um, and carry the gospel. They still would go into the synagogues, preach the gospel to the, the Jews. The synagogue, as we're going to read in just a moment, um, is kind of the Jewish house of worship. They would begin there. They would proclaim the gospel. Um, some would believe, some wouldn't. They would also go to the non-Jews and proclaim. So we see this setting apart and sending out. In verse four, it begins to tell about them going to an island called Cyprus. And in, on this island, they begin to proclaim the gospel. They have an encounter with this sorcerer kind of guy, this guy that um, tried to wow people through sorcery and different things. And uh, he was an attendant, it says, of the proconsul. He was like one of the government officials. Uh, his name is Sergius Paulus. Now, um, through this, Sergius Paulus comes to faith. Um, 
And so we see this happening. And where we're picking up in verse 13 is where they go on from there. Um, And so let's just read this, verse 13 through 39. It says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. So the synagogue, that Jewish house of worship, after the reading from the law, which was the commandments given to Moses and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So Paul and Barnabas have walked into this place. A lot of people believe that the way they knew to go and send for Paul um, to come and speak was that he probably, according to how he was dressed, that they recognized that he was a teacher, he had, he had been a Pharisee or this religious leader. So they, they think that maybe by the way he was dressed, they recognize him. So they go and they get him and they say, hey, if you have a word of encouragement, come and speak it. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. So he's talking about when the um, Israelites, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt and then God called them out and he delivered them out of slavery. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness and and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, from the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. This is King David. Um, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance. He's speaking of John the Baptist now who came before Jesus, proclaiming uh, this, this repentance and turning back to God, preparing people's hearts for the coming of Christ. And he proclaimed a baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? And I'm not the one you're looking for. He said, look, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the savior, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He says, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. He's saying, in other words, what you guys did, you thought you were um, doing something that would get rid of Jesus. Actually, what happened is you fulfilled everything that had been said about Jesus in the Old Testament. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now as witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I become your father. God raised from the dead, raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. 
Now, David, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Basically what he's saying is David could not have been the one the scripture's talking about because he fell asleep. It says he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. He says, but it was basically pointing to Jesus, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free. This is the part that really grabbed hold of my heart this week, that the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. He says, through him, everyone, everyone who believes is set free from every, from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses, under the commands of Moses, basically by following the rules of Moses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. She brought us to this place, not by accident, but because, Lord, you have a purpose in us being here. I pray, God, you would open our hearts and help us to see what you have for us this morning. Help us to receive what you have for us this morning, Lord. And God, let us leave here loving you more today than we did yesterday. And God, work in our lives that we would love you more tomorrow than we do today. And so on and so on, Lord, every day, growing in our love for you and others. God, we thank you for this time. Let your Holy Spirit move mightily. Not because of us, God, because we're so good or so worthy, but because you're good and you're worthy. So Lord, make us more like you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna set up the first kind of thing I wanna talk to you about through a little bit of an illustration. And um, I find this to be really true, but uh, the, the way I wanna set it up is this. When uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jordan Thigpen, who many of you know, works here on staff and uh, is one of the pastors here, he came to me and, and, and we were talking about workouts and different things like that. And so he gave me uh, an app, showed me an app that had some different workouts in it. And I'm like, cool, man, I'll try this. And so it's got literally, I mean, you know, hundreds of workouts that are in there. And so I was like, here, I'll try this one. And so I just picked one, not knowing what it was, not knowing anything about it. And so um, I started the workout. Well, this workout in particular, it has where you just do a ton of reps. Like sometimes you'll do um, just three or four reps and you do a bunch of sets. So you, you, if you work out, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But this one just had a ton of reps, like where you may do like, by the time the workout's done, you might do 300 push-ups. That's a lot of push-ups. And so um, one particular morning, it was a Saturday morning, I went and uh, I was at the gym and this particular workout was an arms workout. Well, I get to the end of this workout and it calls for me to do like um, a bunch of curls. And when I say a bunch of curls, I mean a bunch of curls. So the deal was, it was like where you would start out doing regular curls and you would switch to hammer, what they call hammer curls. So it's like from here to here. The thing was though, that you started with 20. So you did 20 this way. 20 this way, then you did 19, 19, 18, 18. My arms are getting heavy just doing this, right? And so it was this a tremendous amount. And I tell you this for this reason. I started out thinking like, well, I can probably do like 15s, right? So I'm doing them and I realized like after the 18 set, I'm like, not gonna make it. 
And so I, I end up, and by the time I get to like probably down to seven or eight, I'm literally working out in a gym with a lot of people with seven and a half pound weights. And I realized like, there's gotta be people noticing this cause I'm sweated down, I am dying, right? And I'm over there and I'm like, oh, with seven and a half pound weights, you know? It's like, it's killing me and I can't hardly get it done. And it was kind of embarrassing, right? Because I'm like, these are seven and a half, come on, girl. I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, he's like trying to throw them up, you know? And so it was really embarrassing. And, and it made me think about this again. And, and I'm kind of always thinking like, how does this apply to life and spiritual things? It's just kind of how my mind thinks. And I was like, you know what? Image is still important to me. And I started realizing that, that image is still important. In fact, for me, image is probably too important still. How many of you probably could say that, that image is pretty important? Like none of us enjoy being embarrassed. None of us enjoy um, thinking that we're not okay, that uh, we're, we're not doing good enough. Like image is important. And so a lot of times we even try to uphold a certain image that makes us feel good about ourselves. And so image is important. And, and we work really hard many times to keep a certain image, to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, to talk a certain way, to do the things that we think are the right image that we should have. And we get bombarded with things around us that tell us what our image should be. And here's the thing that I think, guys, that image is really important to us. And I believe that it's important to us and it's tough for us at times because we are no longer in the image we were intended to be. We're no longer in the image we were intended to be. In fact, every single person in here and every single person in this world is broken. We're not intended to be the way we are. We're intended to be different. In fact, what scripture teaches us is each one of us was intended to be like Jesus in the beginning. And when Jesus came and he walked on the earth, the Bible tells us that he is the express image and exact replication of God. In other words, you can look at Jesus and you can see who God is, what God's like, what he's about. So whatever our conception of God is, if you really want to know what God's like, the Bible says, look at Jesus. But it wasn't just God. He wasn't just fully God. The Bible tells us he was fully man. And so when we look at Jesus, not only are we looking at the exact replication of God, we are also looking at what we were intended to be. Remember, in the beginning, God created us and he created us in his image. And so image is important because, listen, we're trying to recapture something we've lost. This feeling of, I want to be okay. I want to be right. I want to be good. I want to be accepted. And so we strive and try, try and we work really hard for acceptance. And let me tell you this, wherever you find acceptance and whatever you think gives you the correct image is going to become the thing that you put all your effort towards. And even the thing, if we're not careful, that we begin to worship because it gives us what we think we need.
And here's the reality of it, guys, is that we are not what we were intended to be. None of us. I've used this hammer before for some illustrations. I, I want to use it again real quick. Um, if you look at this hammer, this hammer right here is pretty much the way it ought to be, right? I mean, you could do some work with this hammer. There's been some work done with this hammer. And, and it functions. It's what it's intended to be. We would say that this hammer is what it ought to be. It can drive in a nail. It can pull apart boards. It can do whatever it needs to do as far as a hammer goes. It is as it ought to be. This hammer is not as it ought to be. If I gave you this hammer, there's a good chance you might keep it. You might throw it in you know, the trunk of your car, your toolbox on your truck, toolbox at home, put it in your shop. Yeah, I give you this hammer, it could be useful. Says it ought to be. But this hammer, if I give you this, most likely you're going to take it home or you're going to throw it in the trash here or at your house. Like this hammer is not as it ought to be. It can't do what it was intended to do. It doesn't um, even represent what it was intended to represent. And for us, this is what we need to understand. To begin with, we're not as we ought to be. In fact, we're all broken. Wouldn't you say that this hammer is pretty broken? Like we could even say this hammer is pretty jacked up. And the thing for each of us in this room is that we are all broken, messed up people. The church hasn't done a very good job of acknowledging this in places. In fact, most of the time when we have walked into church, probably the feeling that we've had is more like me at the gym thinking I need to uphold some kind of image. I don't think I'm good enough, man. We feel like we're curling seven and a half walking into the church, right? Like I, I, I'm not good enough to do this because we're broken and we know it. It's interesting that the definition of Righteousness. If you look up the Greek word, go to something like Blue Letter Bible, somewhere where you can look up a Greek word, and you click on it, the definition that you're going to find for righteousness, one of them is to be as one ought to be. So to live righteously is to live as one ought to live. To be right with God, we have to be as we ought to be. So unrighteousness then is to be as one ought to not to be. And here's the thing, we all find ourselves in a place where we are not as we ought to be, unrighteous. The reason that this is, is because of sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know this. This is why we're trying to recapture the image. It's why we're fighting to find acceptance. It's why we're always looking to be good enough. And we're constantly measuring ourselves against other people. We're constantly measuring ourselves against our own expectations, constantly measuring ourselves against what the world tells us we should be or what somebody else is. And 
we're doing this because we're broken and we're longing for something or someone that can fix the brokenness inside of me. And every one of us has sinned. To sin, it literally means to miss the mark. Literally means to miss the mark. And so when you think about this, um, you think about righteousness, it's not being as I ought to be or unrighteousness. Righteousness would be as one is, as one ought to be. Sin then is missing the mark. And so I wanted to show you something, just to give you something um, to think about. And now, um, as we look at this, I want you to think of it from an archery standpoint. That as I'm standing here and I'm looking at this target and I'm aiming at the mark, I'm aiming at the target. How many of you like to hunt? You shoot rifles, shotguns, bows, arrows, pistols, something, right, that you hunt. And how many of you have ever missed a deer, a squirrel, a rabbit, a dove, a duck, goose, whatever, right? Well, you missed the mark. What you were aiming for, you missed it. What you were intending for, you missed it. And so if I'm here and I aim this bow, and I shoot it, in my life, in my trajectory of my life, what God is telling us is what we were intended to hit, the target we were intended for, what we were intended to be, we missed the mark. We missed what we were intended for. Now I'm gonna tell you a little story. So this morning at nine o'clock, I'm doing this illustration and I take the bow and I actually put an arrow in the bow and I had a release. It was a release I'd never used before. You hook the little release right here and I, I pulled it back for the illustration. Don't even need to pull it back, pull it back. And as I'm letting it down, my thumb hits the release and y'all follow me. The arrow hit right there. And listen, this is what's crazy. This is what's crazy. In that moment, you know what I had to do? You know what I was needed to fight to do? Not what I necessarily did. You know what I needed to do? I needed to live this message. I needed to live this message. Listen to me. I've never been more scared. I've been doing this a long time, a long time now. Been standing in front of people for 20 years, talking in 20 years. I've never been more scared than I was in that moment. In 20 years, listen to me, I've never been more embarrassed and I've done some stupid stuff than I was in that moment. And let me tell you what happened to me. See, there's this undercurrent, and maybe you can relate to this. There's this undercurrent in my life that it's easy at times to suppress it. But there's this undercurrent in my life that this thing that runs and wants to compete in my mind that says, you're not good enough. It says, you're too broken. It says you're beyond repair. 
that tells me you're an embarrassment. Not just to yourself, but to your kids, to your wife, to this church. And there's this undercurrent that drifts through life that comes, it's just like, it follows me. It's like a shadow I can't get rid of. And every now and then it just wants to pull me back into the darkness. And if I'm honest, y'all, I I didn't want to finish that message. Being honest, I wanted to walk off the stage and go somewhere where nobody else was. Thank you, Michael. I literally wanted to go and crawl under a rock or somewhere and die. And you say, well, is that an overreaction? I don't know, but see, here's what happens in our lives is that this undercurrent of condemnation and shame and guilt is there. And every now and then something happens and it's like it pierces through this shell or this, this, this ground that covers it and something pierces an event or something happens. And it's like a geyser that just keeps coming up and it just begins to come up and it begins to burst up and voices of condemnation and shame and guilt begin to flood our mind and our heart. Then we begin to buy into the lies of the enemy once again. And then somehow we'll go through enough time. We'll go through and and do enough good stuff that we'll take. And it's like patching up the hole. It's kind of like in Vegas vacation, right? Where, where um, Chevy Chase, like the holes begin to bust in the dam and he's just chewing gum after gum and trying to replace the holes. We do that with our life where it's like we just spend the time trying to patch it up, trying to keep this, this shame and guilt and all this other stuff from coming up. Why? Because our image is broken. And so we try to fill it with anything. Anything I can grab, especially in those moments of shame and condemnation, we'll try to grab somebody. Maybe they can fix me and we put them in our life and then maybe that goes well for a while. But then all of a sudden, you know, it bursts through that too because maybe we get rejected or maybe we realize they're not what we thought they were. We try to find a job and we try to put ourselves in the right position and we try to make it all work out right. But guess what? Pretty soon the position doesn't do for us what we thought it would do. The degree doesn't do for us what we thought it would do. Getting in the fraternity, the sorority didn't do for us what we thought it would do. And all of a sudden it starts bursting up again. And I realize once again, I'm not in the image I was intended to be. I think if I can make a little more money, if I can make a little more, if I could have this house, if the church could be this size, if people would, if I could get this many likes, if I could get this many friends, this many followers, and all of a sudden we're, we're trying to just build this, this support mechanism. We're not building our life on Christ. We're building our life on something that is going to fail at some point, and eventually it's going to erupt, and the shame and guilt and this longing for image and acceptance is going to come back. Because we're not as we ought to be. We're sinful. We're people who've missed the mark. 
And this is what Paul tells us in here. He says this, he says, I want you to know that through Jesus in verse 38, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. In other words, the fact that your life has missed the mark and it is offensive to God because we're not what he created us to be. He says this, he says, look, even every time you've missed the mark, even the times that you missed the mark by a long ways, you need to understand that Jesus paid the price for those sins too. The realization, the realization that Paul has, and listen to this verse, verse 39, he says, through him, everyone who believes is set free from some sins. Is that what it said? Every sin. And it says, everyone who believes. And he says, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, there is this forgiveness of sins that happens. There is this justification. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. There's this justification that happens that you could not attain for yourself by following the rules. Listen, you couldn't attain it by building up your image. It's too lofty, it's too high. How foolish is it for us to think for even a moment that if I work hard enough and I clean me up enough and I have the right image, then, then I can make myself once again as I ought to be or like God. It can't happen. And Paul says, but there's this justification. But this justification, it doesn't, come under the law. It doesn't come through the rules. It comes by faith. And we need to understand this because this is what Paul understood. And this is what Paul is telling us. And we've got to have this revelation like Paul had. And that is this, that our worst cannot deny us salvation and acceptance from God but our best can't secure it either. But Paul knew this glorious truth that we have to hold on to and we've got to fight for to hold on in the midst of everything that goes on around us in the midst of a world in despair. We have to hold on. Paul says this over and over. The writers of the New Testament tell us this over and over. Stand firm. Stand firm. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to the end. We have to hold on to this truth that everyone who believes is set free from every sin and it's a justification we cannot attain on our own. Justification. This is what's so cool about this. Go look this word up in, in, in Greek. It means to make one as they ought to be. Righteousness, to be as you ought to be. Unrighteousness, to be as you ought not to be. Justification, to make one as they ought to be. 
Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did God do what he did? Why did God send Jesus to the earth? Why did that? Because Jesus lived as he ought to live. He was as he ought to be. And listen, when he went to the cross, guess what he did? He took all of our arrows that missed the mark and he put them upon himself. And God punished him for all of those missing the marks that we've had. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The little ones we think about and the big ones we think about. It says that he put it on Jesus and his wrath and condemnation fell upon Christ. Why would he do that? Because he loves you so much that he doesn't want his wrath and condemnation to fall on you. Because we're not as we ought to be. But we can be made that way. And there's two ways to become righteous. There's two ways to become righteous. One of those ways is through the law of Moses, right? Through the rules, through cleaning yourself up, through building up your own image, through trying to make yourself right with God. Anybody been successful with that so far? If you raise your hand, right? Nobody has been successful. I'll get the arrows. Nobody's been successful. But the second way is this, the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. Let's flip to Philippians chapter three quickly. Philippians chapter three. This is the apostle Paul, the one who was just speaking this in the synagogue. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church in a city called Philippi. And this is what he says. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, he says, rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in the law and that you can keep the law. Rejoice in your effort and your work. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he, through faith, makes us as we ought to be. In the sight of God. He says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. He's saying, this is something I've told you before, but I'm telling you this. this isn't, he's saying, this is important. This is something that will keep you safe. And then he says, watch out. In other words, it's also a warning. It will keep you safe, but you need to be warned. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. What he's talking about is these Jewish people who are coming in and telling them, you can be saved, yeah, through Jesus, but you also need to do these works and these ceremonies and live this life and uphold this image. These are the things you need to do if you really want to be saved, faith in Jesus is good, but it's not complete if you don't do this, this, and this. And he's saying, watch out for these people. For it's we who are the circumcision. What he's saying, this is kind of complicated, but understand he's saying we are the people of God. Circumcision was a sign that they, the Jewish people were a people of God. He said, we're the circum, we belong to God now through Christ. He says, we who serve God by a spirit who boasts in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. And listen to what he says though. He says this, so I myself have reasons for such confidence. Huh? Paul, are you saying that you have reason to put confidence in yourself for righteousness? Listen to what he says. And I've got some slides I wanna throw up here for you. He says this, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. He says, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Here's the first one. 
I want you to see what Paul's doing. He says, I'm of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, these chosen people, these people who were chosen by God to bring the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, into the world. He says, this is who I belong to. He says, even starting from birth, just I was born into the right position. And then he goes on and he says this, he says, of the people of Israel, he says, of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. If you listen, when we were going through Acts 13, it tells us that the first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's saying this, he's like, look, not only am I from Israel, but I'm also of the tribe of Benjamin. He's kind of bringing it in. Look, he's like, you all know the tribe of Benjamin. Saul, he came from the tribe of Benjamin. You know the tribe of Benjamin. I was from that tribe. I belonged to that group. Again, I was born into the right situation, even righteous by my birth. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the next circle. And he's telling us in this, he's like, look, what does Hebrew of Hebrews mean? It means this, he wasn't just born in Israel. He wasn't just born to the tribe of Benjamin. He was raised by parents that believed it. He was raised by parents who lived it, who instilled it in him. And so he's like, I, I wasn't just born in Israel, born in Benjamin. I was raised by Hebrews and it was instilled in me from birth. And he goes on, he says, in regard to the law of Pharisee, what does he mean by that? Well, the Pharisees were people who, they were the religious leaders and they tried to uphold the law perfectly. They tried to live it out. His attitude towards the law was, I love the law. Uh, it's not something that is bad, it's good and it is good. The problem is we can't live it out. And so he's telling us here, he's like, my attitude towards the law was right. And he goes on and talks about his zeal. He said, as for zeal, persecuting the church, he was zealous. He was zealous for the law. He was so zealous, in fact, for what he had been raised in, that he persecuted the church, trying to destroy God's people, the church. And then the last one, listen. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, listen, as for me being as I ought to be, based on the law, faultless. Faultless. And Paul tells us this, basically his works his life, his image that he had built up gave him this works righteousness that he's saying very few people could ever attain. Well, isn't that kind of arrogant? No, listen to the next verse. Listen to what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You know what he's saying in that? Can we put that up one more time? He's saying this, he's saying, I worked really, really, really hard to hit the bullseye. And guess what? Even though I got to a place, few people would ever attain, I'm not pointing at you, Lindsay, but few people would ever attain. He's saying, I still fell short. It still wasn't enough. I was still so broken and the law couldn't heal me. The rules couldn't heal me. 
And one of the things that the church has done a bad job of at times is we often focus people more towards trying to hit the bullseye on their own instead of focusing them towards the one who hit the bullseye for them. And so we try, try, and try, and our wheels spin and spin and spin to try to make ourselves righteous as we ought to be, but we continually fail. And repeated failure will lead to frustration. Prolonged frustration will lead to despair. How many Christians today are burnt out because we're tired of being law keepers? You weren't created to be a law keeper. You were created to be a worshiper. Unfortunately, for us in many ways, we don't really do what Paul says first in Philippians 3, where we rejoice in the Lord. See, where our repeated failures can lead to frustration and frustration ends up leading to despair, repentance or turning from our failures, not holding on to our failures, but putting our eyes on Jesus and coming back to him and recognizing that, man, I missed the mark again, but you know what? He hit the mark for me. You know what it does? That leads to worship and prolonged worship will lead you to life and prolonged worship will lead you to transformation and prolonged worship will put you back more in the image of Christ. And from the day you come to faith in Jesus, from that moment on, you begin to grow and you begin to move towards the image of Jesus, but you don't do it by coming to Christ by faith and then making yourself like him by works. You do it the same way by faith, by trusting him, by loving him, by worshiping him, by remembering him. Every time I fail, you know what? I think about Jesus who hit the mark. I think about how screwed up I am, how stupid I can be, the stupid things I can do. But then I fix my eyes on Christ and I begin to run the race again. Why do I do that? Because I know that he has covered all my misses. Y'all, I can't tell you how many times I've had to do this over 20 years. How many times I missed it. I missed it. And it can get so tiring sometimes. I'm just tired of missing. I'm tired of aiming and trying to shoot high. And then I end up missing. I'm tired of missing. But God brings me back to the gospel many times through people around me. And he reminds me that the same grace I tell you, he offers you, he also offers me. Paul tells us that this comes by faith. It comes by faith. Faith is what we do, it's, it's, it's trusting, it's believing, it's literally reaching up and taking hold of the promises of God. It would be like if I promised you I was gonna give you $20 and you trusted me enough to come up here and I stuck the $20 out and all you did is you just took it. You received it. It's seeing the promises of God and taking hold of it and holding on to that promise. 
And the Bible's saying this, our justification, our being made as we ought to be, that comes through faith and taking hold of the promise. Faith's also this. It's not just belief in God, it's trust. And as I look at this target, I trust that if I sit down on it, it's gonna hold my weight. So faith is not just believing and taking the promise, it's trusting Jesus with all of my life. Not trusting in what I can do, but trusting in what he has done. Here's the danger in our culture, in our society is that we do some of the works and we clean ourselves up and we get our image right and we go through the ceremony, the worship services, all of these things. And the dangerous thing of this y'all is that we have no love for Jesus. And what we've done through our works and our effort and all of this stuff is we've just kind of given ourselves this false sense of security, this false sense of being as I ought to be. But listen to me, when you stand before God the question's not gonna be, did you keep the law perfectly? Did you follow all the, did you get them right all the time? Did you never miss the mark? God knows we missed the mark. The question is gonna be, did I know you? Did you have any affection for me in, my, in your heart? Any love? Did you take hold of the promise and recognize the love I have for you? Did you? sit and put the weight of your life upon me and rest in me? Or did you just continue to try to do it on your own? Where's your confidence? Paul says, even though he was as close to hitting the mark as most people would ever get, he said, I still found myself not as I ought to be. So where is your confidence today? My prayer for you is that if you're a believer, you're a follower, you've taken the promise by faith, you've rested your life, the weight of your life upon Jesus by trusting him, that today, listen, there would be a refreshing that comes to you as you turn back to God and you just begin to worship and you begin to thank him God, thank you that the times I've missed the mark, God, you hit it for me. For those of you who don't believe, you've never been a follower, you've never been a Christian. We've got all kinds of ideas about what that means, but it means that I'm taking hold of Jesus's promises by faith and I'm putting the weight of my life upon him and from now on, I'm following him. I'm following him where he leads. And even though I'm gonna zig and I'm gonna zag, I know that the Holy Spirit who received by faith is gonna guide me back into his path. If you're not a follower, then I hope today somehow you can hear God calling your name, drawing you close. And this morning, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to acknowledge that. For you to take 
maybe your first step of faith, acknowledging that I'm taking hold of God's promises of salvation through Jesus, acknowledging that today I'm putting the weight of my life upon Christ and my confidence in Jesus, not in what I can do. I realize I am broken and my image is broken. I need to be made as I ought to be by Jesus. And here's the thing, this is something completely new for you. You've never been a follower. You've never been a believer. You've never trusted. You've never known him. And yet today, God is speaking to your heart. He is drawing you. I wanna give you this opportunity. I'm gonna ask you to be bold because we're gonna celebrate this together. I'm gonna ask you right now, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that today is the day of salvation, of coming to faith for you, I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and say, today I need Christ. We don't do this with heads bowed and eyes closed most of the time because this is not something to be ashamed of. This is something to celebrate. And I really believe this with all my heart today that there's someone here who needs to take that step of faith. Thank you, brother. Amen. We're gonna have somebody come pray with you if you don't mind, sir, and just help you take some next steps in your faith journey. Who else? We talked about that shirt last week until every person knows, and I told you that that fingerprint was what was inside those letters, one of those fingerprints. Every person comes to know one life at a time. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that your spirit still moves. Thank you, God, that you've covered our misses. You've covered, um, God, the, the fact that we aren't as we ought to be. You, you've covered and even our healing, our brokenness, God. We are broken people, but God, you are making us right. Help us to do that. Give us boldness and courage to carry your word to the world, to share not just our successes, but even in our failures, God, that you are God and you forgive all misses in Christ. But I pray today that we would repent of the misses we've had, the sin we've had, and put our eyes once again on you, remembering what you've done for us and remembering God who we are in you. Lord, it's easy to preach that. It's hard to live that sometimes. So help us, Lord. We need your grace that you would do in us, for us, through us, what we cannot do on our own. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.